Volume 2, Chapter 3 of Evelyn, or A Heart Unmasked, a novel by Anna Cora Mawit. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kelly Taylor. Chapter 3 Whence this air of mystery? That face was wont to open, clear as the morning sun, showing all things. Zapolya. From Hubert Damoreau to Frederick Ruthven, New York, November 2nd. Up to this hour, dear Fred, I have worn the window which Momus suggested in my breast, that my heart might be subject to your friendly inspection. And now, if prudence closes the shutter, you must cry, so be it, and discreetly turn away your eyes. There are subjects, some few subjects, upon which it is dangerous to be too communicative. You are acquainted with my olden fondness for quotations. A snug corner of my head contains a huge scrapbook of literary bijoux, and I will now indulge you with a glance at one expressive leaf for the benefit of your curiosity. If you find the passage unsolvably enigmatical, you will never be hung for the keenness of your perception. Give ear to the quotation. I think it is Petruchio, though it may be somebody else, says, And happily I have arrived at last unto the wished haven of my bliss. I am not precisely a Petruchio, but I have a summon bonum, and if I have not reached it, why well, I never shall. Could you take an Asmodeus peep into my bachelor establishment, your novelty-loving eyes would be well feasted. We have been newly modeled and re-robed. Every article of furniture has been selected with the taste and care which you would expend upon the tie of a neckcloth. The clock on my mantle represents Cupid and Psyche sportively bearing away time upon their shoulders. Time with upraised arms holds aloft the globe, and upon its surface the hours are marked. If you took your peep in the evening, you would find the apartment illuminated by three graces, who, within their separate niches, hold aloft their golden chain, from which a moonlight lamp is suspended. One whole side of the apartment is lined with mirrors, which reflect every movement, and warn you to imitate their sister goddesses in grace of motion and attitude. Over the mantel hangs one splendid painting, which was executed under my especial superintendence. It represents Gulliner kneeling at Conrad's feet, and the artist has so perfectly caught the spirit of my description that the face of Gulliner bears no slight resemblance to Evelyn, and in the Corsair you would quickly recognize your humble servant. Then my curtains, Fred, the richest pale pink satin, lined with white embroidered lace, and the ornaments 
a golden bow with an arrow piercing a lyre. The lyre forms the centerpiece. The draperies are looped back by the links of a golden chain, from which is suspended a well-filled quiver. Between the windows, instead of the stiff American-looking console or pier table, stands a beautifully carved rosewood table supported upon griffin feet and covered with an innumerable variety of French bijouterie. Full twenty or thirty elegant trifles, such as richly cut flask of delicate perfumes, a golden pineapple wreathed with jewel flowers, which opens with a spring and discloses all the apparatus of a lady's workbox, a vine of gold laden with coral flowers, creeping over a silver trellis and embedding a couple of enameled shells to hold rings, an enchanted bird who warbles his songs at the mere effort of your will, aided by an unperceived touch of the thumb. But in the center of all these knick-knackeries, I, I really must describe to you the center ornament, a most exquisite piece of porcelain, a shrine for floral offerings. You shall tell me whether or not the device is an ingenious one. A beautiful sultana reclines upon a bank of moss, and beside her stands a small vase, which she is in the act of filling. The vase contains water, and I save the sultan of the trouble and adorn it myself every morning with fresh forget-me-nots. The couch of the oriental fair one is hollow and perforated with apertures on the further side. These apertures, when filled with white roses and myrtle branches, form a natural bower over the eastern lady's head, exceedingly beautiful to behold. The bower is daily renewed, but white roses only are used. For what reason I leave your ingenuity to discover? The windows of my salon, which are composed of glass folding doors, open upon a tasteful conservatory crowded with rare exotics but my description must come to an end or my letter like the doors i have just mentioned will never close what is the meaning of all this lavish expenditure these silken couches mirrors and flowers you will demand my only answer is that i have taken a sudden fancy to transform my abode into an alhambra and that i am not responsible for my whim I am amused, and time flies. Enfo il davantage. I am monarch of all I survey, and I survey some peerless creations of nature, over which it is worthwhile reigning king. Rest assured of that, Fred. I was surprised at the account which you gave me of Claudine. So, for the trouble of your journey to Charleston, you gain nothing but your pains. Are you sure that she has left the city, and the cottage remains deserted and without a claimant? What a thorough little idiot that girl has proved herself. 
she might have been as well off as others and have led a tolerably pleasant sort of life if she had chosen the part of wisdom between you and i fred i don't at all relish the idea of her having taken a journey to the north for should she travel by land when she arrives at washington she could easily trace me here but it is of no use anticipating unlikely difficulties it is more than probable that in a fit of ungovernable passion she has destroyed herself poor little fool she is worth a sigh for a merrier little wench never turned a man's head she used to sing like a nightingale and her black eyes were the most beautiful dark ones i ever beheld but my passion that is my present passion is for orbs of blue your blue-eyed nymphs are more tender and not so given to volcanic bursts of fury and to melodramatic ideas of revenge should you chance to hear of claudine apprise me without delay she used to say that i was the first man she had ever loved and i almost believe her but she always added that i was the last whom she hoped she could ever love but that i never credited and hope if she is yet above ground to convince her of her error you shall hear from me soon but my letters may not be very explicit just at present but doubtless your quick perception will furnish you with a key to the darker portions adios never say fail is the sage richelieu's counsel and that of your warm friend hubert damoreau end of chapter three